Section 8 of The Letters of a Post-Impressionist This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cooper Leith The Letters of a Post-Impressionist by Vincent van Gogh Translated by Anthony Mario Ludovici Section number eight. Letters to E. Bernard. Part one. Letters to E. Bernard. I still believe that, in studios, one learns next to nothing about painting, and certainly nothing about life, and that one should do all one can to learn to live and to paint without having recourse to those old fools and wiseacres. Footnote A. The translation of the original French would be without having recourse to the old dodges and delusions of intriguers. Au vieux trou et trompe l'huile d'antigrance. End of footnote A. When our relations with a painter are so strained as to make us say if that fellow exhibits any of his pictures by the side of mine i shall withdraw mine and then proceed to abuse him it seems to me that this is not the proper way to act for previous to arriving at such drastic conclusions one should make quite sure and give the matter careful thought after due reflection we are almost sure to find particularly when we happen to be at loggerheads with the artist that there is as much to criticize in our own work as in the other man's he has as much right to exist as we have when it is remembered that this man or that be he a pointless or a member of another school, has often done good work. Instead of disparaging him, we should speak of him with respect and sympathy, more particularly if he happened to be in disagreement with us. Otherwise, we become too narrow-minded and are no better than those who can say no good of others and regard themselves alone as right. The observance of this principle ought even to be extended to the academicians. Take one of Fantin Latour's pictures, for instance, or even the whole of his life work. In any case, he is not a revolutionary, and yet there is something restful and confident in his work which elevates him to the rank of the most independent characters. For the good of all concerned, it is worth while abandoning the selfish principle everyone for himself. My dear Bernard, as I promise to write to you, I shall at once begin by saying that the country in these parts seems to me just as beautiful as Japan as far as the clearness of the air and the cheerful colorings are concerned. In the landscape, 
the water looks like sheets of fine emerald or of a rich blue of the shade with which we are familiar in crip prints footnote twenty three van gogh must be referring here to japanese prints which have undergone a process of creping for details of this process see japanese color prints by e f strange pages one ten one eleven end footnote twenty three pale sunsets make the ground appear quite blue glorious golden suns and i have not yet seen the country in the usual splendor of its summer garb the costume of the women is pretty and on sundays especially very simple and happy combinations of color may be seen on the boulevard and there can be no doubt that in summer things will be even gayer still i only regret that living here is not so cheap as i had hoped it would be and up to the present i have not succeeded in finding such inexpensive quarters as are to be found in pont avien at first i had to pay five francs a day and now i pay four if one could only speak the local dialect and eat bouillabaisse and aoli one might certainly find an inexpensive pension in arles even if the japanese do not make any headway in their own land their art is certainly being continued in france at the beginning of this letter i sent you a small sketch of a study on which i am now engaged and of which i should like to make something seamen with their sweethearts are going to the town which with its drawbridge stands in wonderful outline against the yellow disk of the sun i have also another study of the same drawbridge with a group of washerwomen i should be very glad to have a word from you just to know how you are and where you are going with best wishes to you and our friends your old friend vincent i have just read a book about the marquesas islands it was neither beautiful nor well written but it was heart-rendering inasmuch as it described the extermination of a whole tribe of aborigines cannibals they were cannibals in the sense that they ate one man say once a month what did that matter the thoroughly christian whites could think of no better way of putting an end to this barbarity which on the whole was only mildly bloodthirsty than by exterminating not only the tribe of aboriginal cannibals but also the tribe with which they used to fight the battles calculated to provide both sides with the necessary prisoners of war to be eaten then the two islands were annexed and since then they have been unspeakably gloomy these tattooed races 
niggers, Indians, everything, everything is either disappearing or degenerating. And the dreadful white man, with his brandy, his purse, and his syphilis, when will the world have had enough of him? The horrible white man, with his hypocrisy, his lust of gold, his sterility, and these poor savages were so full of gentleness and love. There is real poetry in Gauguin's Negresses, and everything that comes from his brush has something charming, something heart-rending and astounding about it. He is not yet understood, and he suffers greatly from not being able to sell his work like other true poets. I have just taken a house. It is painted yellow outside and whitewashed within, and it stands right in the sun. I have painted the following still life. A blue enameled coffee pot, a royal blue cup and saucer, a milk jug decorated with pale cobalt and white squares, a vase with a blue and orange pattern on a white background, and a blue majolica pot decorated with pink flowers and greeny-brown leaves, the whole upon a blue tablecloth against a yellow background. There are in addition two oranges and three lemons. The result is a symphony of blue tones animated by a scale of yellows ranging to orange. And I have another still life, lemons in a basket against a yellow background. Besides this, a view of Arles, of the town itself, only a few red roofs and a tower are visible. The rest is hidden by the foliage of fig trees, all of it quite in the background, and a thin strip of blue sky above. The town is surrounded by meadows covered with dandelions. Footnote B. The French is Bouton's d'or. Buttercups. The German translation has Lohenzahn. End of footnote B. A sea of gold. Right in the foreground, a ditch, which is full of purple irises, cuts through the meadows. While I was busy painting this view, the grass was cut. That is why it is only a study and not the finished picture I intended it to be. But what a lovely theme, eh? A sea of yellow flowers with the reef of purple irises, and in the background the charming little town with its beautiful women. I grow ever more and more convinced that the pictures which ought to be painted, the pictures which will be necessary and inevitable if painting is ever to attain the serene heights of Greek sculpture, German music, and French fiction, 
will be beyond the strength of one individual. They will therefore have to be executed by a group of painters who will collaborate in order to carry out an idea which they hold in common. Suppose, for instance, that this man were a brilliant colorist who lacked ideas. Well, another overflowed with a number of perfectly new, harrowing or charming inspirations, which, however, he did not know how to express adequately. This would be a sufficient reason to deplore the absence of esprit de corps among artists who criticize and persecute one another, though fortunately without being able to exterminate their kind. You probably think this is all very trivial. Who knows? But the thing itself, the possibility of a renaissance, is surely no trivial matter. I often feel very sorry that I cannot induce myself to work more at home, from imagination. Imagination is surely a faculty that one should develop, for it alone enables us to create a more inspiring and comforting world than we can apprehend by means of a fleeting glance at reality, which is forever changing and which vanishes like a flash of lightning. How glad I should be one day to try to paint the starry heavens as also a meadow studded with dandelions in the sunlight. But how can one ever hope to succeed in doing these things unless one resolves to stay at home and work from imagination? In painting I observe no system. I lash the canvas with irregular strokes and let them stand. Impasto, bare patches here and there, some places left quite unfinished, others overpainted, brutal touches, and the result is, at least I must assume that this is so, sufficiently disconcerting and irritating to displease people who have preconceived notions about technique. Footnote C. The German is Lüt die auf Technique schen, but my rendering is more faithful to the French original. End of footnote C. When I paint direct from nature, I always try to seize what is essential by means of line. Then I fill up the defined spaces, whether they have been expressed or not, for they have been felt at all events, with simple flat tones as follows. All ground or soil will contain the same violet tone. Practically the whole of the sky will be kept blue in tone, while Foliage will be blue-green or yellow-green. Either the blue or the yellow may be deliberately intensified, 
in short, no photographic imitation. That is the chief thing. Here is a question of technique for you. Just tell me your view of the matter. I wish to put black and white, as I buy them at the colorman's, boldly on my palette, and to use them as they are, if in a green park with pink footpaths, I see, please to remember that I have in mind the Japanese method of flat, simple coloring, a man dressed in black, a magistrate, for instance, reading the intransient, and the sky above him is pure cobalt. Why on earth should I not paint the said legal gentleman in pure black and the intransient in pure white? For the Japanese pays no heed to the play of light and paints flat tones one beside the other, characteristic lines which seize the movement or the form in a simple manner. Now, apropos of another idea, in a scheme of color which contains a golden evening sky, for instance, one might, at a pinch, paint a crude white wall against the sky, with pure white, or with the same crude white modified by a neutral tone for the sky itself will lend it a pale mauve tinge. In this very simple landscape, consisting of a completely white cottage, even the roof is whitewashed, standing on orange-colored ground, for the southern sky and the Mediterranean both tend to produce very intense orange coloring, as their blue is very strong. The black note of the door, the window, and the small cross on the roof makes a contrast of black and white, which is just as agreeable to the eye as the contrast of orange and blue. On the same principle, here is another still more amusing theme, a woman in a black-and-white check dress, standing in the same simple landscape, with the sky blue and the ground orange. The black-and-white can quite adequately play the part of colors. At least in many cases they may be considered as such, for their contrast is just as piquant as that of green and red, for instance. Moreover, the Japanese made use of the same tones. With magic beauty, they render the dull, pale complexion of a little girl and its fetching contrast with her black hair by means of four strokes of the pen on white paper. And they do the same thing with their black bramble bushes which they cover with countless white flowers.
At last I have seen the Mediterranean Sea and have spent a week in St. Maurice. I went there in the diligence via La Camargue, through vineyards and meadows, and across plains like those in Holland. In St. Maurice I saw some little girls who reminded me of Cimabue and Giotto. Very much so, in fact. They were thin, rather sad, and mystic. On the beach, which is quite flat and sandy, I saw a number of green, red, and blue boats, which were so delightful, both in form and color, that they made me think of flowers. One man alone can navigate a boat of this sort, but they do not go far out. They only venture into deep water when the wind is low, and they return as soon as it rises. I should also very much like to see Africa, but I will not make any definite plans for the future. Everything will depend upon circumstances. What I wanted to experience was the effect of a deep blue sky. Fromentin and Jerome see no color in the south, and a number of others are like them. But good heavens, if you take a little dry sand up in your hand and hold it close to your eyes, of course it is colorless, just as water and air would be. There is no blue without yellow and orange, and when you paint blue, paint yellow and orange as well. Am I not right? I feel decidedly better in the south than in the north. I work even during the hour of noon in the glaring sunlight without a scrap of shade, and believe me, I feel as happy as a cricket. Heavens, why did I not get to know this country at twenty-five instead of at thirty-five years of age? In those days, however, I was mad on greys, or rather on the absence of color. I always dreamt of a millet, and had my friends in the artistic circle of Mauvais and of Israelis, etc. I have painted the sower. Oh, how beautiful the illustrations in the old calendars were! With the hail, the rain, the snow, and fine weather always rendered in the perfectly primitive manner which Antikin favored for his harvest. I may as well tell you that I do not dislike country life, for I grew up in the midst of it. Sudden recollections of old times and a longing for that infinite of which the sower and the sheaf of corn are evidence still enchant me now, just as they did formerly. But when 
shall I paint the starry heavens? That picture which is always in my mind. Ah, uh, what the worthy Cyprian says in J. K. Husman's On Menage is very true. The most beautiful pictures are those of which one dreams when one is smoking a pipe in bed, but which one never paints. And yet, one must tackle such pictures, however incompetent one may feel in the presence of the inexpressible perfection and triumphant splendor of nature. Here is another landscape for you. A setting sun, a rising moon. In any case, a summer's evening. A violet city, yellow stars, a green-blue sky, crops of all colors, old gold, copper, green gold, red gold, yellow gold, yellow bronze, green, and red. I painted it in the midst of a north wind. I should like to say the following about black and white. Take my sower. The picture is divided into two halves. The upper portion is yellow and the lower portion violet. Now, you observe that the white trousers are both restful and cheering to the eye, while the strong and glowing contrast of the yellow and the violet might at the same time irritate it. One reason for working is that the pictures are worth money. You will say in the first place that this reason is prosaic, and secondly that it is untrue. But it really is true. One reason for not working is that, in the first place, canvas and color cost a lot of money. Drawings are the only things that can be produced cheaply. My chief reason for being so fond of this part of the country is that here I am not in such fear of the cold, which retards my circulation and thus prevents me from thinking and doing anything at all. You will realize this only when you are a soldier and chance to come to these parts. Your melancholy will take wing, for it is very probable that it is only the outcome of your having too little blood, and all this is the result of the confoundedly bad wine and infamous beef of Paris. Things had gone so far with me that my blood had almost ceased to circulate, or practically so in the true sense of the word. But here, in about a month's time, it began to flow again. And my dear fellow, at that time I had a fit of melancholy like the one you have at present, 
and I would have suffered from it as much as you are suffering from yours had I not greeted it joyfully as a sign of my recovery, which, by the by, was soon an established fact. To paint and to love women are incompatible. This really is a confounded nuisance. The symbol of St. Luke, the patron saint of painters, is, as you know, an ox. Thus, one must be as patient as an ox if one would wish to cultivate the field of art. But how lucky oxen are to have nothing to do with this confounded business of painting. But let me tell you this, that after your fit of melancholy, you will feel fresher than you did before. Your health will grow stronger, and you will find the world about you so beautiful that you will have but one wish to paint. I believe that your poetry will also change in the same way. After many eccentricities, you will succeed. Footnote D. According to the French, this should be, after many eccentricities, you have succeeded in producing, etc. The German, however, is Wirst du Darlin, Jelengen, Socken, Von, Egyptischer, Ruhr, etc. End of footnote D. In producing things full of Egyptian repose and grand simplicity. End of section 8. Recording by Cooper Leith.